everyone. This is Paul Dick, owner of Stark Strength and Conditioning, Stark CrossFit. And I have with me today, Jory Jansen, registered dietitian. And uh, I'm excited to have her here. I've been waiting to, to have her on the show for quite a while. I met her over 10 years ago when she did a uh, nutrition seminar for the tribalistic triathlon team that I was a part of. And um, when I was training for Ironman events and uh, all the information that she was giving to us was very digestible. It was uh, very understandable for any level of, uh, of athlete. And um, she was actually answering questions too, which was really cool because I know a lot of seminars you go to, you may or may not get answers from questions that you have. And, um, you know, they might just say, uh, book, a, book a one-on-one session and then we can follow up on that sort of thing. But um really happy to have her here today and uh, just want to uh, pass the mic over to you and find out about who you are. So let our listeners know. All right. So thank you very much. I am excited to be here and uh, it has been a while. I've known of you for a while too, um, following you. So that's kind of cool. Um, for me, I started um, working as a dietitian probably... 14, 15 years ago now. I don't want to count too far back. And um, I actually became a dietitian by accident. Most people go into nutrition because they have a really keen interest in it. I grew up in a family where we ate fruity pebbles and fruit loops and sugar crisps for um, breakfast. And it was, you know, supper was the typical stuff. But, you know, I have the Ukrainian background too. So we had a lot of Ukrainian dinners and things like that. So I didn't really get nutrition. Um, but I was actually scared. I had, I had to figure out what I was going to do for a living. My husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, was done university, and I was feeling a little bit of pressure from his side of the family that was a little bit more hard on him. It was, it, and I projected it onto myself. They're awesome people. Um, so I went to the guidance counseling services and was freaking out, saying, help me figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And this area came up. I had no idea what a dietitian did, nor did I through the process of going to school. I still didn't really get what a dietitian did. And what I did know, I wasn't quite sure it was all that exciting. But then there was an assignment that I had to do for, for a class, and I had to interview someone in the field in the area of where I'd want to work. And I couldn't connect with the dietitians that I thought I was supposed to speak with because diabetes and the elderly were the big topics. They said that's where the work is, and I just couldn't connect. And finally, I don't know if the listeners will know, but there's something that's called the Yellow Pages. And back in the day, um, that's what I used when I wanted to you know, find a business or call somebody. So I looked in the yellow pages and I saw sports nutritionist, Rennie Benedict, and I didn't know if he or she, what they did, if, they, if that person was a dietitian, I assume nutritionist, although as you know, years went on, you know that nutritionists and dietitians aren't necessarily the same thing, but um, called, I did the interview, found out she was amazing, and she took me under her wings and I thought, I wanna be a sports dietitian. Unfortunately, a good friend of mine in school said, Jory, you can't be a sports dietitian unless you're a high-level athlete. Seeing that I have um, no athletic background, which people are usually surprised to hear, I am not an athlete, never have been, never will be, but I work extremely well with athletes. Maybe that's why. Um, but uh, So I was determined that I'm not going to let someone tell me that I can't be something because I'm not something. So I went under Rennie Benedict's wings, and she mentored me and gave me opportunity. 
um, Sport Manitoba, uh, especially the Sport Med Council, gave me a big start and a lot of opportunity. And eventually, after having to work and pay bills through working with um, in a clinical setting, I worked in long-term care, and then eventually um, a surgery prehab program dealing with clients while they're trying to get healthy for hip and knee replacement surgery. So always doing private practice and sport on the side while working in a more clinical setting. Eventually, the Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba said, hey, Jory, would you like to work for us? And I said, sure. So I started part-time, and after I had my daughter, I, I went back full-time. So I work full-time with the Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba, and that's working with national Olympic-level athletes. And I have a small private practice on the side, and I say small because I decided to have a small family, and I want to keep time for them because I actually do enjoy hanging out with them. So uh, I am a registered dietitian, but I'm also a board-certified specialist in sport dietetics. Basically, what I've done is continued my education. So I am a registered dietitian, went to school for the four years, did the 10-month free work, which is called a dietetic internship. And then I did a two-year part-time diploma in sport nutrition with the International Olympic Committee. And then um, I did uh, an international exam that is called a board-certified specialist in sport dietetics. So working my way through, um, worked with the RWB for a number of years and uh, do contract work with the Winnipeg Jets. I work with, it could be anyone from, uh, you know, parents trying to get their 10-year-old to eat to 73-year-olds who are just trying to make their lives better. So that's me in a nutshell, and um, I find most days are pretty exciting. There's always something new to work in, but uh, it's it's interesting, it's different, it's challenging because nutritional sciences is, is not stagnant, it's always changing. So what's right or cool today will be wrong and doomed tomorrow. So it just depends on what's going on, but uh, I do love what I do more often than not. And she dropped the mic and walked out. That was a damn good intro. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, so Joy's got a lot of, uh, a lot of background working with a lot of different types of athletes, um, younger, older, um, clinical settings, teams. So kind of wanted to ask you about that, um, like, you know, a little bit more, I guess, either specific or, or the variety of clients that you've worked with and, uh, maybe some of the goals that, uh, that you help some of those athletes, um, you know, uh, attain. So it basically, the goal is to help whoever it is that I'm working with, athlete or not, to become the best version of who they are. And nutrition plays a key role in that. It's not everything, but it's a big part of it. If you want to be able to think and concentrate, you need the right fuel to, to put that in. If you want to be able to work out, uh, you need the right fuel. If you want to be able to work out the next day, you need the right recovery nutrition to support that. If you're someone that, um, you know, is going through chronic disease, nutrition plays a role in that. So it, it really doesn't depend on who you are. It depends on what your goals are. I find, though, when people come to see me and it's about weight loss, that's where we have to have an open and honest conversation. Is it really about weight loss or is it the process of getting to where you want to be? Because weight loss is, is a long-term outcome. But what you want is quality of life. What you want is to be able to bend over and tie your shoes again. What you want is to be able to run up the flight of stairs. What you want is to be able to, you know, get a fraction of a second faster. So it's not necessarily just a weight loss goal. It's a 
health, wellness, and performance goal. And that's what I work on. I work on health, I work on well-being, and I work on performance. Whatever you're trying to work on. Um, from uh, It could be, unfortunately, but I feel fortunate that I work well with this group, is with disordered eating and eating disorders. And there's a continuum there. So disordered eating could be just dysfunctional eating and just not getting the fact that... Um, one of the things that is almost a swear word in my home it's, or, or phrase is called clean eating. I used it back in the day when I was new and eager and wanting to promote healthy eating um, just because it was trendy and cool to start saying clean eating. And I've, I believe that it's actually led to a lot of dysfunctional eating. What does clean eating mean anyway? That you pick the carrot out of the ground and you wipe the dirt off and you took a bite. Is that clean eating? Is it that you washed your meat before cooking it? Um, or is it now that you're paranoid to eat anything and you feel like you're doing something wrong that's, you know, it's, it's about eating, right? And we let something like food rule over our joy or happiness. And um, so I, I work on fixing a lot of um, what's called BS, belief systems. And so when we're working on people's belief systems, we have to work on, um, it's conflict resolution. What are the you know, positives of planning your fuel and hydration for the day or for the week? What are the downsides of planning your fuel and hydration for the day or for the week? And I remember um, a couple months ago, I was speaking with a gentleman and uh, he was wanting to, you know, prep for uh, a work boxing match. It was just something fun that, that they were doing at work. And uh, I said, so what are the positives of eating well? And he listed all these things. It was health, it was performance, it was recovery, it was sleep, it was all these things. Um, and I said, well, what are the negatives of eating well and hydrating well? And he said, well, there are none. I said, well, you're wrong because you wouldn't be calling me if there weren't. And he stopped and he said, good point. He said, so what's getting in the way? What are the negatives? He said, well, it takes time. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's not exciting, is it? And, and he said, well, it can be more expensive. It can be. And you can't just uh, get immediate satisfaction because you actually have to prepare something. You can't just go through the drive-through. So there, were, there, were, there is a downside to eating well. And then we went through what are the positives of not planning for good hydration, good fuel sources, and then what are the positives? And by going through the, this conflict resolution, he was able to set up his SMART goals, but before that, he had to figure out what was he gonna start doing, what did he need to stop doing, and what did he need to continue doing to be able to set up that SMART goal for success. So I find athlete or not, general population, it's all about conflict resolution and figuring out what's your BS, your belief system. And oftentimes it's incorrect and not, not anyone's fault. Uh, I think society really um, promotes uh, a one way of doing things, whether it's paleo or keto or um, clean eating, whatever that means in, in your mindset. Uh, so it's not anyone's fault, but we need to look at what's your reality and, and, and go from there. So weight loss usually isn't a goal for me to work with with someone. It's what, what are they looking at for health, wellness, and performance? Long answer. <laughs> so, and so if, if someone's goal is weight loss, you consider that more of a byproduct of creating those good habits and, and being able to maintain them. Um, so with, with everything that you just said, like behavior modification, that, that plays a huge role in being successful for, like you said, meal prep and for, you know, 
going out and making the time to shop. And if you don't do the cooking, you know, maybe you have to start doing that or maybe you have to start planning your meals. Like if, say, your parents aren't, aren't on board and you live at home and, you know, your goals aren't going to, you can't reach your goals if you're kind of following their eating habits and their uh, their nutritional habits. Um, is there is there something that you start looking at first um, when you start meeting with people and going over that stuff? Yeah, so that's a good example. So what if it's um, youth who don't have the full say of what's coming into their home? Or what if your partner in life, your life partner's not on board with where you're at, your, your goals, your dreams of, of creating a, a healthier version of you? We start with what, what do you have control over? And... Uh, or what have you not participated in that maybe you could? So for kids, a lot of times I, when I go in and chat with students, I'll go to schools and, and talk to the kids, and I'll say, how many of you, when you walk, walk into the house and you go into the kitchen and you open up the fridge, you open up the cupboards, and you say there's nothing to eat? And they all put up their hands, yeah, no kidding, and they think we're going to start bashing parents. I say, okay, well, how about this? What if you think about is there nothing to eat or nothing prepared to eat? And they're like, Oh, okay. And from there, I go, well, you know what? You don't have to be a chef to be able to start taking some ownership over this. Could you put something on the fridge so your parents know what you like? Because what you liked two weeks ago that you were eating every day, now you're saying you hate it, so it's stocked up in the cupboard. Could you not make sure that on that grocery list that you start putting in things that you do want? Um, could you maybe participate in grocery shopping? I do grocery store tours. My family makes fun of me. Like, you have to teach people how to grocery shop. And it's not so much teaching you how to grocery shop per se, but it's, I think it's more of a way of taking you right into the field and showing you how to do things versus sitting in a classroom in a lecture setting. You can learn to read labels there, but now you know where it is on the shelf. You know how to read that label and why you're choosing it. So I do grocery store tours with kids. I do them with adults. Um, so that's one way that a child or youth uh, could be more informed. They could also start figuring out how can they prepare some things on their own. And I give them easy recipes because lucky for them, I actually don't enjoy cooking or grocery shopping, but I teach both. So because of my dislike for it, and yes, I'm a dietitian, but I say dietitian, not chef. Two different, two different areas, although you can combine them. But um, I will show people how you don't have to be a chef and still meet you know, nutritional energy requirements and eat well. It's taking some ownership, starting with what you can do. Or we'll look at um, what a typical day looks like for them. And I have them look at what's the easiest thing, or what meal or snack looks like, it's pretty much where it should be. And that's goal one. Make sure that that one stays there. Week two or week three, depending on how you want to set up goals, is what's the next easiest area to work on? And you keep building on that, because I believe that if you set, set your clients up for success, not failure, they're going to want to try again. And they're going to come back and share if they made it or not. It's not about judgment. It's about moving forward and creating a lifestyle. I know that's I know that's something that um, you know we've we've talked about with clients in here. Um, you know, it it does take time to to prepare to go and shop, and you know, making those those right choices. You could have all the the best stuff in your fridge, but if you don't 
put aside the time to like actually make it or there's people who don't know how to make stuff so um, one thing that I would like to do here is we have um, this this building that we're in we had it designed so that it's ready for a kitchen to go in so hopefully in the new year we'll have a kitchen and be able to show people how to make some uh, some proper proper food and one thing that Lori and I do is we end up making food that lasts pretty much all week and you can just go into the fridge and pick out, you know, whether it's your chicken or salmon or ground turkey or whatever, um, you know, have sweet potatoes or baby potatoes there and ready or quinoa uh, and then have like spinach and broccoli and um, oh, what else? Other, I'm trying to remember the name, but anyways, other veggies are just there and ready to go so that there's always something available. And like you said, like, you know, you might look in the fridge and if there's absolutely nothing there and nothing made, then you're going to feel like, yeah, I, there's nothing, you know, nothing to eat. But if there is always something sitting there, it's so much easier to to get it done and uh, just throw it on a plate or throw it in a Tupperware and bring it to work so that you uh, that you don't have or that you don't go without. So um, the, the main reason I wanted to have you on, uh, on this podcast is because I get questions here and there about uh, blood diets and genetic diets and uh, my answer has always been like you know clean up your clean up your eating habits first eating real food like if it grows or swims or runs or flies then it's fair game um, and basically staying away from anything highly processed and loaded with sugar and preservatives but uh, you can only go so far with that and you know I, I don't have all the answers for that. So um, you're the first person that came to mind when I when I was thinking about that. And uh, I looked up uh, a product called Nutrigenoma, Nutrigenomics, gen sorry. And um, and then uh, it showed up that you were one of the dietitians that uh, that supported this product and uh, and did testing with uh, with clients. So I thought I would give you a call and see if you'd be interested in coming on and talking to listeners about it and maybe the benefits of, uh, of doing something like this and uh, get your thoughts on it. So Nutrigenomics is, is an awesome test. Um, it is, it is still growing and continuing to grow. I know about five years ago when I first started working with Nutrigenomics, there were only seven genes being looked at. And now they're testing 45. And, and as the evidence comes up, they are willing to add more to, to their line of testing. But uh, if the evidence isn't there scientifically to support um, what some of the other tests out there are are claiming they just won't add it. It's a very credible company, so that is why I chose Nutrigenomics. There are other tests out there, and some of them are probably great, and others um, I'd be a little bit careful with just because they are promoting things that aren't evidence-based yet anyway. Um, but Nutrigenomics is actually kind of neat. It looks at a few different areas based on um, your personal DNA. So for, for me, it was super exciting to look at it. Um, when I got the result, it was like, I'm going to read a story about me. This is, this is my insights. This is how I work. This is how my body uh, metabolizes, utilizes nutrients. It is not a, um, a test for allergies. It's not uh, a test for um, your risk for cancer or diabetes, things like that. It is a test based on how your body metabolizes nutrients. So um, it could be around whole grains, vitamin A, vitamin C, iron. And iron's a big one because I work with uh, athletes, male and female, that iron status could be a deal breaker between performing well and not. And if they're training and they're going um, 
at an altitude, for example, we need to make sure their iron stores are not just low normal, that they are in a really good range. So um, iron status is important. And if your DNA is made up, um, in terms of the gene code for iron, if you have a SNP or um, uh, it's, it's a part of the gene, and if it's um, showing that there's a risk for iron deficiency. We, this could be really helpful for someone and, and in terms of health and performance. So I, I did the test on myself and I did, there's two versions. There's the um, personalized one for just general health and fitness and then there's one for actual athletes. And it's the same uh, gene testing, the same information, just how it's delivered is going to be delivered slightly different based on whether you're an athlete or not. But I did both and um, I found that uh, the test results were pretty interesting. One that I loved, because uh, nothing is good or bad, your genes are your genes. But when you know your story, you know how to support it with nutrition. So some people might need to supplement, but others, the supplement actually is going to do more harm than good. And this will help decipher that. And so one of the fun ones for me was the fat taste perception. Because my family makes fun of me, because I can taste the smallest amount of butter or margarine in a sandwich or making when you're making something. If I go to a shower and someone says, there's no butter on the store, you can eat it. And it's not a nutrition thing, it's just the taste actually bothers me. Um, and so when I go and I'll have a bite, I'm like, no, there's butter on here. And they're like, oh, how'd you know? Um, I have, based on my genetics, I have an elevated taste for fat. Um, and that's neither good or bad, it is what it is. And so for me, I now I can go to my family saying I'm not weird, or maybe I am, but that's not why. I actually do have the genetic um, uh, wiring to be able to, to taste fat at a higher level than someone else. Uh, the other one would be um, whole grains. So for me, based on my DNA, I need to make sure that I'm eating whole grains, complex grains more often, because if not, then the way I'm wired is that I could be, doesn't mean I'm gonna have type two diabetes, but I could be predisposed to having type two diabetes. Um, in my family, there, I know of one person, my grandfather had type two diabetes. He was not obese, he was actually pretty, pretty in shape, um, and yet he still had type two diabetes. He did love sweets, which I do as well, which also showed up in my genetics. So I'm justified, right? But it doesn't give you like, oh, I'm doomed because of my DNA. It's no, this is how I'm wired. So that now that I know how to work with myself better. So I think that with, with this in mind that um, it, it doesn't tell you things that are gonna you know, impact your insurance policy because it, it, it's not gonna say, oh, you have cancer, you have a risk for cancer. This test is not about that. It is just how does your body use nutrients? And that's, that's what I love about it. And they, this company only uses evidence-based information. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of different companies out there. Um, and I know when you had kind of sent me both of your tests, it was, um, I, I had looked at several different like blood diets and, and different options. Like this one's not, uh, not invasive at all. You just get a four liter jug that you have to fill up with saliva <laughs> or how she, she brought the kit. It's sitting here. It's not a four liter jug, but that would, uh, that would suck having to fill that thing up. Yeah. Half a teaspoon. And then you send that away. Um, but, um, no, it's, Pretty interesting to see what's out there. And then, you know, you don't really know exactly what kind of tests are being done um, to make sure that this stuff is 
you know, really what it says it is. Um, you don't always you don't always have someone to talk to about the results, so that's something that you do as well. Like you can only do this test through through a, a dietitian or someone who is in uh, communication with uh, nutrigenomics, and and you can get the proper. I guess, read out of it. You can have someone explain exactly what it is to you rather than you trying to read it out yourself and, uh, and maybe come up with uh, some, uh, some outcomes that, that aren't really true. But it is pretty, pretty in-depth, all the information that, uh, that you get back. I had a chance to look through it, and uh, it's, it's actually really cool. Um, so who's a prime candidate for this test, and, uh, and maybe who shouldn't be doing this test? So the test isn't cheap, and I honestly believe that you can make a lot of great um, changes around your nutrition without doing the test. In fact, I do usually, actually not usually, always talk people out of doing the test because I think that I don't, I don't want people to feel like, oh, I can't get the genetic test because it's out of my price range. Um, it, it's just something that I can't afford, so now, now I can't be healthy. I think that people have been working on nutrition since the beginning of time. This is just an added benefit. It, it ha does create motivation. I have seen uh, athletes and, and clients, um, for example, my 72-year-old client, she's awesome. Um, she created some further change. She had buy-in because it was a story about her. So I think if people are well-informed about what this test is and what it's not, uh, if they don't have a... Um, history of disordered eating or eating disorders, or uh, I, I wouldn't do this on kids. You could, because your DNA is your DNA. My fear is that parents would get really weird. I work with, um, with uh, young athletes, and sorry parents, but sometimes you're just a little crazy. So I, I would not do this test. Other people might, and you can go seek those people out, but I will not do a test on um, anyone under 18 years of age. I just think that uh, it's... It's too limiting in terms of people taking the information and, and saying, oh, my kid can only eat this and not that. And, oh, you can't have birthday cake because it's a simple carb and you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you know, if you eat this way. And I think there is something said to understanding what the test really is, understanding quality of life. My daughter actually has dessert every day and I'm cool with it, even though I need to, you know, make sure that I'm getting whole grains. But so should most people, right? Um, I, I think also it's people's beliefs around how you eat that you have to really get to know your client first, in my opinion. And that's why I like that this company sends the results to the health practitioner and to review it with the client. The client owns the information and they can choose to listen or not listen to, to what the health practitioner is saying. But I think that I, I like that part that if you're going to have this test done, you're going to go through it with someone who actually can interpret what this is and apply it to how your life is right now. Maybe making all these changes at once is going to be crazy overwhelming. Don't. You've been doing okay so far and, and go from there. But I definitely would not do this test for me personally, just in terms of who I work with, with anyone under the age of 18. And I would not do this test on anyone that um, has a hard time. I call it dysfunctional eating. If you're in that place, don't go there. It's just going to add more stress to you. Cool. I like that you have uh, have some limitations with who you would who would use it on, and yeah, <laughs> others might not. But uh, no, that's good. Um, so, 
have you made any modifications in your eating habits after getting your results or uh, like any, any big changes or anything like that? Yes. <laughs> I, I love coffee. I can drink six cups of coffee or more a day. I can have coffee just before going to bed and I can sleep just fine. Unfortunately for me, <laughs> based on my genetics makeup, uh, I could be predispositioned to um, having high blood pressure, um, which can also then I impact your heart, right? So when I saw that my results showed that that was a potential predisposition based on my um, uh, gene sequence, I decided to cut back. Um, and my recommendations are more than 200 milligrams, which is basically one eight-ounce cup of coffee a day. So I have cut back. Every now and then I will have a little bit more, but usually I go to um, herbal, non-caffeinated teas, hot water, things like that, uh, just to get the warm drink, which is really what I'm wanting. Um, because I'm a slow metabolizer. Basically, what, what my test showed is that I'm a slow metabolizer. My husband is a fast metabolizer. And I thought when he was doing the test, for sure he's, he can't have caffeine because he just gets jittery. But no, he's just a fast metabolizer, which means it's actually safer for him to have caffeine than for me because it leaves his system faster. It stays in my system for six to eight hours, which is not a good thing. So if I'm piling up on the caffeine, that adds up. All those cups of coffees lasting six to eight hours in my system is not going to be good for my health. Whereas my husband's a fast metabolizer. He's going to feel it really quickly. And for him, the way he is, it actually will help sport performance. For me, it won't. So it was, it was a little bit um, sad, but also an eye-opener for me to not judge just based on how I feel, but based on how my body really is working and how can I support and respect my body. So that's, I think, um, probably one, one of the biggest ones for me was the caffeine one because I, I remember going, oh, this will be no big deal. I can drink coffee all day long and go to bed and I'm fine. But um, according to my DNA, apparently not. Well, um, it's good to hear that you've taken, you know, some some ownership over that and uh, have limited the coffee. I know there are some people that that can't do without it, and uh, do have. I have a client that has six to eight cups before noon, but he says like after that he can't he can't have any like midday or anything like that. It just just throws him off. But that's that's still a lot of coffee to be drinking. So. Um, so the, the two booklets that you got, you had the, uh, the general health, uh, test and then the, the sport test. So, um, I think I called it the sporty spite, sporty spice test before, but, uh, there's some pretty in-depth responses and recommendations in there. So I like that it doesn't just, uh, tell you what to do or what to eat, but it gives you some science behind the gene activity and how your body relates to the specific foods and, uh, and vitamins and minerals. And it's great that it uh, offers better options for you if you happen to be eating some suboptimal food choices as well. Um, you know, going going through that, do you do you typically go through every little bit of information in there with people, or do you kind of zero in on the stuff that's going to be the the biggest changes they can make to get them both bang for their buck right off the bat, or how do you how do you approach that? 
So because for me, usually I know my clients pretty well already when I agree to do the test. Like I said, if you really don't care about um, being assessed for the appropriateness of the test, there's lots of people that do the test. Um, so you're not limited to me having to get to know you first. But if you were to have the test done, I would look at the things that are the biggest um, eye-openers. So uh, what the test does is it looks at um, for example, whole grains. So to look at your the gene, what are, what's the gene that they're looking at, which you may or may not care about? The risk variant, so is it a GT or a TT? Um, are the risk variants for something, for example, for whole grains? And they'll let you know then what is your variant to the gene. So for example, mine, uh, for the TCF7L2 gene, my variant is GT. So that means I have an elevated risk um, so I need to make sure that I'm being mindful of whole grains in my diet. And so this test will go through. Um, it'll rate it for you. And, you know, it's really bold. Do you have an elevated risk? Do you have a low risk? Are you typical? If you're typical for something, I'll go through that very last. The big ones are going to be the, the elevated, um, even something like... Uh, I don't know, something like saturated fat. Some people, they don't have to worry so much about that saturated or animal fats in their diet. But I do. According to, to, to um, my risk and my gene variant, I have to watch. So I'll, I'll look through, I'll look through their story and I'll pick out what are their high risks. And out of those, I provide a smaller summary because, um, you know, Paul, looking at this, there's a lot of information here. So what I do personally is I take the high risks and I put it into a, a one-pager snapshot of what are the key things to take out right now from this test. And then I go through it with them and then we start planning uh, their nutrition plan around that. And then from there, if they want to look at other areas, then that's okay. But if they have an elevated risk for something, that's where I start. But I take the big package and really narrow it down for them and set them up for success by making small changes. So this isn't really like a test that you'd want to go and take if you're not willing to, to make changes and, and take this seriously. Like, um, like you said, there is like we're looking at pages that are just filled up with information, and it's it's based on like what you're sending in as well as uh, as your sample. So um, it's really cool to have that that information. But if you're you know someone who's going to go and do it and not really you know take it take advantage of the suggestions and stuff like that, then it's I don't I don't know if it's really worth doing then. I agree with you, and I, I think that maybe from a business perspective seems pretty bad, but honestly, I that's where I go through the pros and cons of what this test is and what it can give you. I mean, if you're someone that is thinking, man, I'm struggling with, you've been so focused on weight loss, well, guess what? You may be like me with the GA variant, and, and you have diminished energy balance, and so basically, we're going to have to work a little bit harder than the typical gene variant to be able to change our body composition and shift our weight into an area that will get us into a healthier place. And it doesn't mean we're doomed. There's seven in 10 of us with this response. Um, but And it doesn't give us an excuse not to work on things either. It's like, oh, well, um, my energy balance is diminished, so you know I'm messed up for life. No, it just means that we we need to pay attention and make sure that we are eating well more often than not. That we're not skipping out on the workout programs that Paul or anyone working out of here is setting up for you. It, it means that you, we need to pay attention. And um, so I think that that's how you take the test: is looking at what what are your 
um, big red flags in terms of what's what's there. And for me, what I like about this test, what genetic testing, as it gets more and more evidence-based, is that it's not looking at general population because if you look at a bell curve, I'm doing the actions like you can see me, but I'm doing the bell curve and most people taking the test will fall within the middle section of that bell curve. But I'm interested in the people that are called outliers, the 5% on each end that don't fit into general population because those are the people that are struggling. Those are the people that are at greater risk for not being the best version of them. So that's where I think that this test can be really motivating. It helps people not feel like, oh, this is, this is my makeup, I'm doomed. It's like, oh, this is how I'm made up. So this is now how I can take care of myself to get to where I want to be. So I think that it's exciting in that, but the test isn't for everyone. It is a financial burden for some people. If you work with a registered dietitian, uh, then you may have some coverage. Everyone's benefits plan is different, so you do need to take a look at that. But for some people, this is just well, uh, a nice investment into their health. And like you've said, this is this is basically giving you feedback on your genetic makeup. This isn't telling you how many calories a day you should be taking in to reach, you know, your goal body weight and all that kind of stuff. That's that's completely outside of this, but this can help to kind of put you in the right direction and, you know, with the, uh, with the appropriate modifications to, you know, eating habits and stuff like that with Jory, this, this can, you know, be a tool that you can use to help get you to, like she said, the, the best version of yourself. All right. So in this, uh, in this test as well, there's some different, different options where, uh, it asks you, you know, motivation to exercise, or it gives you feedback on that based on your genetic makeup, exercise, behavior, endurance, power and strength, uh, pain, tolerance, and then uh, yours showed up positive for potential for Achilles tendon injury. So uh, did you want to touch on that at all? For sure. So just to go back a little bit, um, quick story, I promise it will be quick. I'm, I'm queen of stories and analogies. But... Um, when I get into my workout routine, it's awesome. Things are smooth sailing. And um, when I'm not exercising, my husband will actually call me on. He's like, you haven't been exercising, have you? And I'll be like, no, why? And, and it's point taken. Um, and, and I remember I used to get a little bit offended when, when he would ask that question. But it has nothing to do with how I look, anything like that. Um, he's an awesome guy, so he's not judgmental like that. But... What's interesting is years later when this test came up and I took it, um, my gene variant showed that my response is enhanced to motivation to exercise. Not everyone is. Uh, not everyone is it has enhanced motivation. Now, I don't get up in the morning and go, woohoo, I'm going to exercise. Um, I roll out of bed, I, you know, as groggy as the next person. But based on my gene variant, I do get a ton out of exercise. My mood is actually changed, like legit. It's not just, you know, something that people make up. It's actually legit that um, I will have a heightened response to exercise based on my DNA. And um, so that will impact uh, exercise behavior. And and basically for me, I, I do have that enhanced enhancement as well. And, and you think, oh, that's awesome. Well, I guess it could be uh, as long as it's used appropriately. And But in terms of power and endurance, like I said, I'm not an athlete. Well, I'm a typical responder to both. So I'm not enhanced in either of those, which is maybe why I am I'm doing what I'm doing instead. <laughs> Who knows? I, I'm, I'm nothing crazy and typical in terms of pain tolerance as well. Um, and 
in regards to Achilles tendon injury, what a lot of research is showing is that females are at higher risk, more so than males. Um, my gene variant, the CT variant, showed that I am at elevated risk, and that is true. I, I actually have had um, had to be careful and modify exercise because of my Achilles tendons, especially um, with aging. I've noticed that I, I, in the past couple of years, I've had to change my, my workouts, um, watching the hill climbs and plyos because it, I will be in pain afterwards. So um, it, it, does, uh, it does a lot. There's a lot of good information here. Quick, quick story though, in terms of an athlete, um, she plays hockey and she was very interested in this test. She found out about it. And I, based on me getting to know her, I said, you know, you likely are, um, you know, gluten intolerant. You likely are lactose intolerant and, um, you likely do have, um, a diminished level in terms of energy expenditure. So why don't we just work with that? Let's just work on things. And she said, no, what, Jory, I get that, but I think I would, you know, based on family history and things like that, she still decided she wanted to do the test. So we did the test, and based from when the when the test gets to the lab, it takes three to six weeks to be able to get the to get the results. Um, so when the test came back, we looked at it, and I, and she was even though it was already information I told her, she was so happy that she had this confirmation. She was not just slightly, I'm slightly lactose intolerant, she is highly lactose intolerant. Um, she is gluten sensitive. I'm very low risk for gluten sensitivity, so I can't follow the, the gluten-free train at all. Um, and, uh, and then for her, she had a heightened sensitivity for pain, which means she could tolerate a lot of pain, which for an athlete at, may not be a good thing because they're going to push through their workouts without tending to the injury. Or for a coach to understand that this athlete has low pain tolerance. So you're going to have to maybe give them some alterations in terms of their workouts, in terms of their training. So it's a nice way to understand your client, your athlete a little bit better. And just the information that keeps coming out is amazing. And like I said, for the Achilles tendon, that's really interesting. This is one that is more evidence-based. There are some other um, companies that will design workout programs based on DNA. And um, I'm hoping in the next five to 10 years, it'll be more evidence-based, but it's not yet. So I wouldn't go there. But this one here is the one area that uh, the company felt was well-researched. So Achilles tendon injury risk is, is part of their testing. And it's really interesting. I know a few people that have uh, had like recurring Achilles tendon injuries and needed surgery and stuff like that. So it would be interesting if they took the test to kind of see what their results were. Yeah, and avoid it, hopefully. Um, yeah, with uh, so what would some minimum nutritional requirements be that people should be following um, or consider before even doing this test? I love that question. And there's actually no nutritional requirements because this isn't looking at your nutritional status. It's not looking at your blood work where your doctor would look at, you know, your B12, your vitamin D level, your um, folate, you know, all these sort of things that you would get from, you know, perhaps in, in a physical, having your blood work done. So this doesn't look at your nutritional status. It looks at how does your body metabolize, utilize food. And so you could be eating really well or you could be eating poorly. It doesn't matter because your DNA is, is your DNA and it's just going to look at that. So that's a great question. Thanks for asking that one. Not a problem. So uh, a couple questions I have about the test. So um, what's required for it and how, how long does it take to do? Uh, you mentioned that it takes about three to six weeks to get the results back, which is great. 
And then uh, cost-wise, how, how much does it cost for someone to do this? So with this test, um, what's required is basically half a teaspoon worth of your saliva. So you come in, um, if, if it looks like that, you know, you've got a dry mouth, I give you some water so you can hydrate a bit and you can get some good saliva going. And uh, it takes, the test takes two seconds. Um, unless you have a dry mouth and you need to drink some water. Um, but other than that, you don't need to eat a certain way or, or anything. Just make sure that you don't come in with a bunch of food in your mouth, so that way it's full of food. I have had that before, um, and we had to redo the test. But other than that, it's half a teaspoon of your saliva, and it gets um, sent to the lab in Toronto. And based on the time that they send everything into the lab, uh, it takes three to six weeks to get the information. It gets sent to me. I don't look at it until I contact my client and I let them know that their story is in. And if they want me to look at it in advance or to go through it with them, I, I'll respect whatever they want to do. And oftentimes they say, no, look at it and, and let me know. And so I take a look at it, put a smaller summary together and we meet and we go through it and then we devise a plan for that. And um, cost, the big one. It's, it's, honestly, it's going to vary. Um, what I charge is $450, um, and that includes the cost of the test and our consultation and, re and, uh, and time to review it. I, really, I, I don't make much money off the test at all. The test is, is uh, after taxes, is, is almost $400 as it is, so you're not really making much money off of this test at all. It's more of something that if people want to do, here you go. If you want a meal plan outside of that, that's different. Um, we could look at that, but... If you look at most practitioners, uh, I believe if you go to the Nutrigenomics website, I think most are charging between 450 and 500. And uh, but you can check around, shop around, and, and see what you can do, um, and see what you can get for sure. And again, checking with your Blue Cross or Great West Life, whatever you're using, to see what kind of coverage you have. Cool. So the you know the cost of the test is might be a, a deterrent for some people, but, uh, you know, there's definitely some benefit to, to getting it done. Um, you know, not everyone would need to, to get it done if they are wanting to make better choices and, uh, and get different ideas of what they should be doing to, to achieve their goals. So I think, um, you know, if anyone's, if anyone's interested in getting a hold of you and, uh, and contacting you about, uh, your services, then, uh, where, where can you be found? So uh, you can email me at joryjansen at shaw.ca. I do have a little website. It's really not a big deal, but it's sort of a business card. So just joryjansen.ca. It's, it's no big deal. Um, but the information there might be useful. And, and, and when you work with a dietitian, um, it's good to do some research. It's not a one-size-fits-all. In fact, I often will do a phone call first to see if I am a good fit. And if I'm not, I will give you three to four names of other people that I think that might be. And fit could be cost, fit could be time, availability, what you're looking for and what I'm able to provide at the time. So I'm not going to be the right fit for everybody. And, um, and that's okay. So I will definitely help find someone for you. I also work with the Canadian Sports Centre. So um, there, there's the ability to connect with me through the Canadian Sports Center as well, and um, also the Sport Med Clinic at Sport for Life. And um, again, there's other practitioners working out of a lot of facilities, and of course, probably here at Stark, I believe you have some uh, nutrition contacts as well. So 
Find out who works best for you. I always say that my client's the CEO of their company, their company being their body, and uh, I uh, end up being part of the employment status of that relationship, and I work for you in helping making sure that the company's running properly. That's awesome. And uh, I like how, you know, previously, before we were just starting the podcast, you were talking about um, working with someone and if it's not working out and, you know, you've tried it and, and things just aren't working, like you'll recommend going to see someone else. Like if, I don't know if it means that you're butting heads or it's just like, you know, something's, something's not clicking between the two of you, but um, I think that's that's great, and that's uh, that's really important to have. Whether you know you're a dietitian or whether someone's coming to you for a personal training, and if just things aren't working out or you're not seeing eye to eye on something, then usually there is there is someone out there that can help you. It might just take a little bit of uh, searching. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking some time to come and uh, chat with everyone who's going to be listening to this. I don't know if it's five people or 105, <laughs> but um, no, thank you for coming and sharing some of this information. And um, yeah, once again, if you want to get a hold of Jory, it was joryjansen.ca. So that's your website and J at shaw.ca. So J-O-R-I-E-J-A-N-Z-E-N at shaw.ca is her email address. So thank you everyone for listening. If you have any suggestions for people that you want to hear from in the city, um, please send them in to me and I can try to track them down and get them to do a podcast with me. Um, but uh, informa- uh, my email here is info, so I-N-F-O at stark, S-T-A-R-K-E, strength.com. And um, yeah, Once again, thanks for listening and take care of yourselves.